we write a lot of songs that talk about uh, our real life. But at the end of the day, we want to have our songs push buttons inside them and have them ask those all-important questions. Why are we here? Why do we exist? Where are we going? What is our purpose? We live in extreme times, extreme days, and kids don't need artists or pastors or moms or dads, for that matter, pussyfooting through the tulips. Kids are looking for truth and for, and for purpose and for answers. Satan's at work in the world, man, and he wants us to doubt. Um, and doubting is not wrong. Don't fear doubting, you know? I mean, it's, it's a real thing. Once again, people say, I'm doubting. Oh, gosh, I'm not saved. I'm doubting. I doubt there was a God. I'm sorry for doubting you, Lord. You know, it's going to happen, you know? Not an excuse. It's a fact. But at the same time, know that God is real. And when you don't believe it, it's to the mountains, the water, the creation around us screams, God, yeah. you know? I'll doubt him tomorrow probably too. But I know that he has my heart in his hand. I know I'm going to heaven, although I'm doubting. I lost a dad, a sister, and a brother all within three years. I've had a charmed life, so millions of records. I've got all the toys a boy could ever want, a man could ever want. And you know what? When it happened to me, I asked the same question that person is asking right now. Why, God, why? David asked it. Solomon asked it. Joe Bastard, um, there's no answer to it. God is God, and it, that's all that matters. And there's, um, we can sit back and we can fight all day and pull and argue and say, you know, there has to be a purpose. We may never find that purpose out until we get to heaven. And there may never be answers. There's, there's not about the answers. You know, just sticking to the grind, man, hanging in there. Life is, yeah, life is a journey. You're gonna be in the, on the mountaintop sometimes and in the valley sometimes. I've always been looking for answers I'm saying, well, God, well, why, 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 why? It's like, humans just have to know why. I think I've stopped asking why. So much stuff has happened in my life. I just start going, what? What do you want, Lord, from me? This is obviously a wake-up call in some way. If God told me, okay, I took your dad, sister, and brother because I wanted them in heaven. Okay. Um, I don't feel any better about that. I know why now, you know. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, what now? My dad's gone now, so I, get to I have to love my mom more. Be there for my mom, be there for my sisters and brothers more. I have to be more uh, alert and aware of how short life is and how little time we have on earth. So instead of asking why, now I'm just going, what? This happened, okay, may never know why, but what can I do from this point on? everyone, Pastor Tim, and it is good to be with you today on this wonderful Sabbath, and I wonder how many are here like Michael Tate, and you've got questions. Anybody here have doubts about their faith? You ever ponder, is there really a hell? Is there really a heaven? Are my prayers getting through? Is Jesus listening to my prayers? How is it with my relationship with God, really? Am I assured of my salvation you know, if you are here today with those kinds of questions and things rattling around in your mind, I've got good news for you. You're not alone. You know, some of the strongest believers have had questions. And like he pointed out in his testimony and in what he was sharing there, you know, if you read much of the Bible, you find a lot of people that had question marks. Just read the Psalms and you'll find David was wrestling with some things. Read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find Solomon had some doubts. Read some of Job, and you'll find from cover to cover, Job is littered with question marks. 
How about Jeremiah, the greatest prophet there in the Old Testament by many people? How it says that his doubts drove him to tears. So I want to make a distinction today between some things. Doubt is looking for light. But you know, unbelief is content with the darkness. And trust by its very nature has to be preceded by doubt. If you stop and think about it, I mean, there's no room for doubt. There's no place for trust. Because if trust never encounters darkness, if truth never struggles with error, how can trust know its power? So there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. And of course, doubt asks questions while unbelief will not listen to answers. And so much of doubt, as you know, in our day has been really accelerated with a lot of change. I mean, a fast-paced life is what we are all encountering so experientially. I mean, things are moving at a rapid pace all around us, and we just feel like we're a pinball machine. And our culture is constantly living by the tension of what we were and now what we are becoming. And someone said that we live in an age of doubt, disillusion, and also disaffiliation. And it seems like we have shifted from Christianity to any anity, which is pluralism, to no anity, which is a form of atheism. We've shifted in our society, and I think we need to understand that there are questions that are going to pop into our head. There are challenges that we're going to have on our faith, and we need to refocus ourselves upon the person of Jesus Christ. And there's no greater text in the Bible, I think, to really help us to grasp this and understand this than the story we have in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, where Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. I want to call your attention to this great text today. And so join me for a moment as we share these words and we look at God's word in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. For it says, Immediately Jesus told his followers to get into the boat and to go ahead of him across the lake. And he stayed there to send the people home. And after he had sent them away, he went by himself up into the hills to pray. And it was late, and Jesus was there alone. And by this time, the boat was already far away from land. And it was being hit by waves because the wind was blowing against it. And between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. And when his followers saw him walking on the water, they were afraid. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus quickly spoke to them and said, Have courage, it is I, and do not be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it is really you, then command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter left the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he became afraid and began to sink. And he shouted, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. And Jesus said, your faith is small. Why did you doubt? And after they got into the boat, the wind became calm. And those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, truly, you are the Son of God. So understand what's going on here in this text. Jesus is on the northern, northwestern portion of the Sea of Galilee. 
It's an amazing place. I have been there with some of you. And it's a powerful moment when you're standing there by the Sea of Galilee and you're realizing that this could be the very spot where some of these things were taking place. And it's late in the day and Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which is an amazing thing. Just took a pile of food and multiplied it for the masses, thousands of people that were able to eat and still had some left over. And the people naturally were amazed. They were so enthralled about this that they wanted to make Jesus king. But Jesus refuses, and he says, I'm going away to prepare, to, to pray, and I want you guys to go to the other side, and I'll join you later. And the disciples hop into a boat, and they get out to sea, and suddenly the storm blows in. Now, they didn't have Doppler radar back then, and they didn't have a weather app, and we know that this was quite, uh, you know, a, a tendency for these storms because of the topography and the landscape there. These sudden storms would develop. And it says that this storm arose. And it was so rough, evidently, by the language that we find here in the text, that their vessel was being beaten. In fact, the Greek language here is it's tormented. Their vessel is tormented by the waves and the wind. We know from John's Gospel, chapter 6, that they were about three to four miles out into the sea, perhaps in the very depth of the sea, where the, where the water was the deepest, and from the way these gospel writers present the story, it appears that this particular storm arose in the evening, somewhere around 7, 8, 9 o'clock, and it continues through the night because it's the fourth watch, which is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., when suddenly they see something on the horizon, somebody out in the water. And these disciples are struggling against the wind and the wave. And they must have felt like this particular storm had no end. Have you ever had that in life where you just feel like whatever you're involved in, it's never going to end? I think all of us, if you're Bengals fans, have just kind of been thinking, you know, are we ever going to have a winning season here? You know, uh, this just goes on and on and on. I don't know if you've ever been ill. I was ill one time and I went through two or three rounds of antibiotics and you're like, is this ever going to, am I ever going to feel better again? Sometimes we encounter storms, we're all thinking, COVID, is this ever going to end? It just keeps going. And a lot of times in life, the things that we encounter, the struggles that we have, you know, we're like, is this ever going to be over? Maybe you've got a loved one today, and you've been praying for that person. And I can remember in my ministry, I, I've had a lot of spouses who had a loved one, and oftentimes they were praying for their husband. And it went on for like 30, 40 years. Kind of like the Bengals, this drought. But all of a sudden, one day, I can remember that person walking through the door. And they came that day and responded to the call of God in their life. It was an amazing moment. Have you ever felt that way? That your circumstances are just taking over? Well, I love Peter here because he reminds me of my own humanness. And, you know, he's kind of quick to respond. He doesn't think about what he says. It's that kind of thing. He just, he just belts it out. He also understands failure because here's a guy who's denied Christ. And yet he experienced forgiveness and has the joy of being greatly used on the day of Pentecost. 
It was Peter who was one of the earliest disciples. It was Peter whose boat was always available. It was Peter that uh, really his home became that headquarters for the Lakeside Ministry of Christ. It was Peter who went with the Lord, accompanying him into the house there at the raising of Jairus' daughter. It was Peter that witnessed the transfiguration. And it was Peter that denied Christ three times. And yet it's Peter that is one that gets out of the boat. And Jesus calls Peter a man of little faith. Now, if Peter had a little faith, what about the other disciples? They must have had no faith. I wonder today, what is keeping you from getting out of the boat? What is preventing you from really living a life that's full of joy and great assurance? What hurdle is weighing you down and being very problematic in your life right now? What kind of storm has grabbed a hold of you? That's why, as we've started the year, we've got this new series we're calling Biggest Loser. Because we want you to shed whatever's holding you back, whatever's winning, and we want you to have real abundant living in Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember the show a few years ago, it was a contest, uh, you know, about being the biggest loser, which was actually about being the biggest winner. It was about getting to a healthier balance. It was about getting your life back. And so as we begin this year together, we want to challenge you to get your life back. To get your life fully entrusted into Jesus Christ. To lay down the things that are holding you back, the questions that you have, and to really give your life to God. You know, we seem to live in a society that's so fear-driven that we suffer from what some people have identified as a condition called risk lock. It's kind of like gridlock. But everything is so risky, everything is so like uncertain that I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to kind of set back. But you know, a lot of people are doing that and life is passing them by. You know, a lot of people just have this mentality, I'm going to stay in bed, I'm going to pull the cover up over my head. But you know there's something like 20,000 people that go to the emergency room every year because they fell out of bed. They've been injured enough and they go to the ER. Or maybe you're the type that are going to use the drapes and your blinds and somehow you're going to pull the shades down over your windows. But you know there's like 10 people a year on average that accidentally hang themselves? Or what about the mentality, I'm just going to save all my money and I'm going to stuff it in a mattress. 20-some thousand people end up going to the ER because of paper cuts and hernias from handling money. Let me say to you today, you may step out of the boat, you may step up to the plate, and you're going to have some challenges in life. But if you never do that, you won't have the joy, you won't know the feeling of really following the Lord, even in the middle of the storm. There's a danger for sure getting out of the boat. There's a danger in serving. There's a danger in following. Yes, you may have a few snide comments tossed your way. What do you suppose the number one best-selling chair is in America for years on end? And I think we got a picture of it. It's Lazy Boy. We immerse ourselves, friends, in comfort. We want to take the easy route. We want to stick by our TVs. We want to just listen to our podcast. And we want to entertain this condition of risk lock. 
Well, what do we call people like that that want to sit in front of the TV all the time? We call them couch potatoes. These other 11 or so in the boat, we probably call them boat potatoes. Please don't let us say you're a pew potato. I wonder today if you would listen to this incredible story and think through with me the stages of what Peter is doing here. The first thing, if we want to really shed the weight, if we want to lose whatever is holding us back, we need to dispel disillusionment. Think of this story here. These disciples are on this vessel, and it's probably a little foggy. The visibility might be a little low, and uh, the winds are, are whipping that vessel. They're being tossed to and fro. It must have been an incredible night, and they are fearful for their life. Am I going to get out of this thing or not? And all of a sudden, there's a little deception going on. There's some false thinking that suddenly appears and they begin to be disillusioned. And these disciples have spent their whole life on the sea. These are our veteran fishermen and they've been out there before and no doubt they've encountered storms before. But they're out there and this is no squall of course. The Bible says the boat's being tormented and suddenly they see a shadow and they think it's a ghost. And they spent their whole night afraid of the storm, and now a ghost shows up. I mean, this is the epitome of going from bad to worse. It's out of the frying pan and into the fire, and they begin to magnify this thing, that it's actually, it's kind of like this rear-view mirror syndrome. You know that little statement there at your, uh, on the your side uh, of your car? It'll say the objects appear closer than they really are. And so many times, don't we do that in our minds? We magnify our circumstances. It just becomes incredible. This incredible thing in front of me, this awesome storm. And it just causes us to go in this wrist lock. You know, if you've ever watched some of the old suspense movies, you know the directors knew this ability back years ago uh, of the human mind and how we can kind of fill in the blanks. Now today, on the motion picture screen, they just show everything. Because of technology and animation, they can just show you everything that happens. But back in the old day, those directors knew something about our ability to fill in the blanks. The disciples here are living life, encountering the storm, and suddenly they're like, we're dying, and their mind is just filling the blanks. And no, it's a ghost. It's a Loch Ness monster coming after us. And they see this figure walking on the water and they assume it is a ghost. And oftentimes we make the fears in life greater than they really are. But how do you handle the fears? I want to say to you, you get to know Christ. These disciples here, Peter had gotten to know Christ. And yes, there was some disillusionment. But they got to know Christ. I had an FBI agent in one of the churches I served. And he was talking a little bit of how they trained those federal agents with counterfeit money. He's like they teach them the real money. They give them the real thing and they study the currency for days on end and every once in a while they'll slip in a fake bill. And more often than not, they spot it, not because they've studied all of the counterfeits out there, but because they've studied the real thing. And you know, friends, that's what you and I need to do. We need to really know Christ. We need to really study God's word. 
we really need to understand what our faith is all about. And that's why we've got Wednesday nights. We're calling it Brand Bag Fellowship, but it's our Why Wednesdays, where we encourage you, if you've got doubts, if you've got questions, if there's concerns you're struggling with, we invite you to come so we can share and we can discuss. You become so familiar with Christ that when the false promises or the pseudo-saviors appear, you can say, no, wait a minute, this is not Christ. To leave the boat, you need to dispel disillusionment. But let me also say to you, if you're going to leave the boat, you need to defeat the distractions. The distractions that are out there. Now, Peter leaves the boat here when he knows that it's Jesus on the water and not a ghost. They're sitting there thinking, no, wait a minute. This is not a ghost. This is Jesus. And for a little while, Peter walks on the water too. And he does the impossible, but then things change. And he took his eyes off Christ and he begins to focus upon the storm. And if you stop and think about it, distractions come in a couple of forms. One is the obvious, those distractions that come. And I mean the thunder booms, the lightning cracks, the winds whip, the waves break. And there's a storm going on around Peter, and it's easy to see here how he gets so distracted. You'd probably be distracted. Just a few moments ago, he was hiding in the boat from the storm, and now he's exposed right out of the middle of the storm. He stepped over the side of the boat, and he's out there walking on water. And, you know, oftentimes we get scared by the things that look like they're going to overtake us. But then we turn away from the very source of our power and peace, and that's Jesus and we focus on the storm rather than Christ. You know, worry and fear always cause us to act in ways that we normally wouldn't. Now, on my front porch, I have got a thermometer, and it reacts to what's going on. The mercury falls if it gets cold. It rises if it, get, if it gets hot. And, you know, it's influenced by those external kind of conditions, the temperature. But on the inside, I've got another device, and it's a thermostat. And it, it, it's, it's just regulating everything and keeping the same temperature inside, regardless of what goes on outside. And I just wonder, are you kind of a reactionary person, or are you kind of one that's just regulated by Christ in your life? You're either kind of like a thermometer or you're a thermostat. And even when things are going on around you, you notice here in this text, at the end of the day, Peter still believed. He was going down, but he had a firm belief. He said, Jesus, save me. He knew the Lord would deliver. Jesus is a power that is greater than any problem you might have. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 4 that he is greater that is in you than he that is in the world. And if we focus on our problems, you lose sight of Christ. But there's something else out there that's not just the obvious, it's the subtle sometimes that can weigh us down and bifurcate our focus and get us off the path. Those subtle things out there can really kind of connect to our, uh, the whole of our ship and our life. And you know, so many times we can allow ourselves to get busy. We discuss this on the staff a lot of times because we got a lot of wonderful things going on in the church and it's all good. But what are the great things? What are the things that God is really calling us to do? I have a friend that says, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. 
And so oftentimes we just busy ourselves with so many wonderful things that we are not doing the things that God really wants us to do. To leave the boat, you need to not allow yourself to be distracted by the ghosts and the deception and the things that are faulty and fake out in this world. But then lastly, let me say, to leave the boat, you got to deal with the doubt. you got to destroy the doubt. When your heart is divided, when your mind is kind of living in two camps, when you are straddling the fence and you got one foot in one direction and another in another direction, you're not going to get very far. In fact, if you walk around with that kind of pessimistic outlook in life, you're going to be seasick your whole life. Doubt sees the obstacle, but faith sees the way. You may have heard the story of the commander there uh, years ago. He was out and he got this call over the walkie-talkie. One of his soldiers had captured a prisoner. And he said, well, bring him in, son. And he said, well, I can't. And he said, well, come yourself. And he said, I can't. He won't let me. Some people are harboring things and they just are in this wrist-locked condition because they got one foot in one camp and one in the other and their mind is living in, in two different ways. Doubt and inner division always brings defeat. And when Peter got into the boat, the disciples worshipped Jesus. And we get this feeling that this worship this time here in Matthew 14 is different. Amazingly, if you know the Bible, you know that this is not the first time this occurs. Six or seven chapters earlier, in Matthew chapter 8 or so, we find the disciples are in the boat and there's another storm. And this time, Jesus is down in the, the vessel and he's asleep. And, and the storm is so great, they think, this is it. We're going down. We're not going to make it. And they go down and wake Jesus. And Jesus comes up and he speaks to the wind and the waves and everything stops. And in the text it says, who is this man that speaks to the wind and the waves and obeys him? But now compare that with what they confess here. And they say, what kind of man is this? Now they say, you are the son of God. How do they get from what kind of person is this to you really are the son of God? Something happened here that opened their eyes to the very power and nobility of Christ. And before this encounter, Jesus was just this amazing guy. And now the disciples saw him as something more, the Messiah. I want to ask you today, how can you see Jesus for who he really is? And how do you see God today? I want to say to you, you have to spend time with God. Even though Peter doubted, he had some questions, he was skeptical about what he was seeing, at the end of the day, he believed. He said, Jesus, save me. You know, it's a great thing about Peter is that every time he fell, he rose again. And it must have been true. Even his failures, even those mishaps, ended up bringing him closer to the Lord. I'll never forget this church I uh, heard about there years ago. They had this piano that everybody was complaining about. The musicians, the 
uh, the pianist and uh, the choir director, they were just complaining about this lousy piano. They couldn't get the thing in tune. They had different people come over a period of months and it, the, some of the keys would stick. And they went to the board month after month. They said, we got to get a new piano. And they said, finally, after several months of all this wailing and whining and complaining, they said, we're going to do something about it. And we're going to send this piano to be painted. To be painted. What are you talking about? To have this thing revarnished and, and, and restained? That's not going to do anything. And yet, that's what a lot of people do. They just settle for a paint job instead of a tune-up. You know, if you were to tell someone there are 581,678,900,000-some-plus stars out there, they'd believe it. But if you tell somebody there's fresh paint here, everybody's got to do a, a personal investigation. Friends, you need to doubt your doubts before you doubt your beliefs. It's easy to play a Christian without actually living like one. Today we seek comfort instead of challenge. We want rest and not the responsibility. We readily accept complacency and surrender our zeal for the Lord. And friends, we look for a paintbrush instead of a toolbox. I want to say to you today, it's time to step out of the boat. It's time to get out on the water and put your hand in the hand of Christ and begin to live that life that God wants for you. I want to invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. Holy God, we call upon you today. We know this world dishes out a lot of challenge and punishment. A lot of things that feel so threatening. But Lord, we just pray today that we would put our hand in your hand. We know there are some here today that are really questioning There's some things going on in their life, some circumstances that just seem so overwhelming. Some people here today perhaps are seeing ghosts and they're disillusioned, disenchanted. Others whose minds are just full of such a question. So may your spirit today have right away in our hearts and may those that are here in the boat today grab your hand and step out begin to faithfully follow you give their life to you may we shed the weight may we let go of those distractions may we faithfully follow you we just pray for those that are here today to strengthen us, embolden us, grant wisdom, 
grant peace. For we know that you are wholly adequate to save. Help us to walk on water. And Lord, may we know that faith is not merely you holding on to God, but God, you holding on to us. May we know that you will not let us go. pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. It is so good to be with you today.